Today's scripture reading is Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. As is the custom, I'm going to move this microphone. I don't really know why, but Jeff and Scott do it, so I'm going to do it too. All right. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you that we can gather together to worship you, to praise you for your wonderful love. I pray that my words would be pleasing in your sight, that would glorify and honor you. I pray that we would know more of your love for us and more of our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about peace, being a peacemaker. Every week before the sermon here at Liberty Fairmount, what do we do? We pass the peace, and the leader usually says something like, as God has made peace with us, so now go and make peace with one another. Meet and greet those around you. We just did it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The peace uh, that Christ has accomplished between us and God and between each other as well. Now, if I asked you if you seek peace or war in your relationships, if you seek resolution and reconciliation or conflict and strife, I bet all of us would say, of course, we want peace. We don't want a hostile child, a bitter spouse. We seek peace in our relationships, of course. But we have to ask ourselves, what's the nature of this peace that we want? Do we want peace with others or merely peace internally? Do we want our relationships to be flourishing for the good of the other person? Or actually, do we just want to be comfortable? Do we want true peace that indicates a flourishing, good relationship? Or are we content with just the absence of conflict? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that we're often content with comfort rather than lasting true peace. We are content to be comfortable even when we aren't at peace with with those around us, and often when we need to engage in conflict to reconcile, to reconcile a broken relationship, 
We choose to stay silent. We choose to stay comfortable. But what we ultimately need is not merely comfortable relationships or even peaceful relationships. What we need and what we were created for is peace with God and true relationship with Him. And if that's the case, if that's what we were created for and really need, then it's only through Christ that we can have peace with God. And that's what we learn here in this verse. Jesus is our ultimate perfect peacemaker who has made peace with God for us and brought us into God's family. Because he's accomplished peace with God and peace with others, he calls us to be his ambassadors of peace on this earth. Now as we begin, we have to remember a few things about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not a to-do list. It's not a series uh, of a list to check off things that we do in order to earn a right standing before God. If we think the Beatitudes are a to-do list, we'll end up in one of three places. Either we'll deceive ourselves uh, and convince ourselves we're better than we are in order to, you know, try to prove to ourselves that we're measuring up. Or opposite of this, our failures will be so prominent in our minds, they'll be so much at the forefront that we'll be given to despair. The third option is one of apathy, where we simply stop trying to live for God and our failures matter little to us. We stop caring about spiritual realities. If we think this is a to-do list, we'll either end up with a heart that is pridefully self-righteous, hopelessly despairing, or simply apathetic. Instead, the Beatitudes are Jesus' own description of what Christians should be like. It's a picture of the character traits that Christians ought to have. It's not so much things that we do, check them off, good, I did that for this week. Rather, it's something that emanates from the heart. It's something we are. It's who we ought to be in Christ. But we can only attain them, we can only live them out once we realize that we're saved by what Christ has done, not by what we do. So let's continue with our verse for today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here, Jesus calls us to make peace with others because he himself has made peace for us with God, and with others, and he has brought us into God's family. So today we're going to look at the peace that Christ has accomplished for us and his call to peace. We're going to talk about three things. What Christ's call to peace is not, what Christ's call to peace is, and how Jesus is our peace. So first, what it's not. I'll try to place this right here. First, what it's not. <clears throat> Christ's call to peace is not a call to peace faking, and it's not a call to peace breaking. Christ's call here is to peace making. He says that peacemakers are blessed because they shall be called sons of God. So why is peace faking or peace breaking insufficient to accomplish what Christ has called us to? Why does peace faking or peace breaking uh, fail to accomplish his call to peace? Well, peace-faking and peace-breaking don't accomplish Christ's call to peace because they generate a false peace. They generate comfort rather than true peace. Instead of producing true peace between people, peace-breakers and peace-fakers produce comfort for themselves at the expense of the other person. Instead of building bridges and making peace with others, both peace-fakers and peace-breakers aim at a comfort for themselves that doesn't include true love for the other person. And with this comfort, this false peace, There's no reconciliation or rebuilding of relationships. Now the trouble is, peacemaking is not a natural disposition of the heart. Instead, most of us are either peace fakers or peace breakers. I myself fall into the peace breaking camp 
which we'll get to in a minute. But first, let's look at peace faking. What are the traits of peace faking? Specifically, peace fakers achieve comfort for themselves by hiding the bad and therefore giving an illusion of peace. The peace faker is comfortable when there's a semblance of peace. What the peace faker fears the most is conflict of any kind. As long as there is a lack of visible conflict, the peace faker is comfortable. The peace faker can manage and get along all right as long as there's no conflict. So this is the mother or the son who pretends that everything's fine when actually there's a pretty big elephant in the room. Now, no one's going to talk about it. Nobody dares to bring it up, but it is definitely there. And of course, this isn't true peace. It's only a vague comfort that lasts as long as the conflict doesn't break out. Likewise, the peace faker won't engage in reconciliation when such an action would bring strife, even if it's, if, even if it's necessary conflict and good conflict. Peace fakers don't confront others uh, when they need to, and often they end up suppressing their hurts and their disappointments. And so under the surface, they're hurting deeply, but they would rather endure a silent pain than go through the agony of conflict of any kind. And so they live with false peace. Peace fakers hide the bad to give the illusion of peace. But honestly, this isn't anything close to true peace. At the expense of what is best for the other person, peace fakers hide what's really going on underneath the surface. Instead of loving the other person, reaching out in order to reconcile a hurting relationship, or talk about a difficult issue, peace fakers withdraw. Peace breakers, on the other hand, refuse to let conflict go unnoticed. Whereas peace fakers hide the bad to give the illusion of peace, peace breakers expose what they think is wrong with the other person. They uproot the bad that they see in other people. But instead of doing this in such a way that the other, the other person is built up and challenged to grow into a better person, the peacebreaker does this with a calloused heart and with cynicism. Peacebreakers are comfortable when they feel that they have discovered what's really true, what's really going on. Then they feel comfortable. Peacebreakers know and want to acknowledge the brokenness of our world, and this is a noble thing. They know that no one's perfect, and in fact, they want to expose other people's issues. But peacebreakers can be harsh with their words, and slowly, slowly they can become bitter and cold-hearted as they only see and only look for the faults in other people. Now, I am a peacebreaker, um, as I said, and there's one person that knows this uh, better than most, uh, my father. Like many of us when we were teenagers, I'd actually, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, I probably should have asked. <laughs> <clears throat> Like many of us when we were teenagers, when I was a teenager, I had significant strife and conflict with my dad. We didn't see eye to eye on everything. It's shocking. Um, but the way, I, the way I went about it was far from loving. Uh, I was often furious, given to anger. I was ruthless in my interrogations, and I would hunt for what was wrong with him. He would say to me, Chris, I feel like I'm in a courtroom, like you're cross-examining me. And I would think, well, what's wrong with that? I must, must be pretty good at what I'm doing then if, you're, if you feel pinned down. Uh, but of course it was wrong of me because I was ruthless. I didn't do it out of love for him. And I owe him more than a few apologies for my peace breaking. Now brought to their ends and in the extreme, both peace faking and peace breaking bring us the opposite of what they promised us. They promised us peace, comfort, and life, but instead they actually bring strife and death in the end. Death in the sense of death of the self or death of the other. Peace faking brings comfort now and a semblance of calmness, but eventually it leads to bitterness 
and, and uh, when hurts are swallowed, and eventually a slow death of the self. Peace breaking brings a semblance of honesty and openness, of a resolution, but eventually it leads to annihilation of the other and of the relationship. There is a third option as well, in addition to peace faking and peace breaking, what we could call peacekeeping. This is the apathetic disposition of the person who doesn't, on the one hand, fear conflict like the peace faker, or on the other hand, relish conflict like the peace breaker. Instead, the peacekeeper is content to keep the peace when it's required of him. He won't necessarily go out of his way to resolve a conflict. He's content to let others handle the situation. He's fine to step back. He doesn't have the selfless love that characterizes the peacemaker. Instead, he's most comfortable when he's not involved. Um, don't make me think about it. I just want to relax and be comfortable. That's what the peacekeeper says. Now, this can often be due to hopelessness, um, which can stem from years of strife and unresolved conflict. Now, apathy can take over, and there's a feeling that it's impossible for this conflict to go away. I'm just going to step back. But neither peace fakers, peace breakers, or peacekeepers accomplish what Christ calls us to because all three of these are self-focused rather than other-focused. They end with a selfish comfort rather than a selfless love that leads to peace and reconciliation. Christ calls us to true peacemaking. So what is true peacemaking? Christ says that the peacemakers are blessed because they shall be called sons of God. Now, when we think of peace, we mostly think of the absence of conflict. That's what we think of when we hear the word peace, the time where there's not a war. But in the Bible, when we see the word peace, the Hebrew word that's often written is shalom. Shalom is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of flourishing. It's the active presence of several very good, several excellent things. Prosperity, flourishing relationships, wholeness, life. These are the things that characterize Shalom. They're associated with shalom. And these are the words associated with the peacemaker. A peacemaker, is, therefore, is not someone static who has a passive peace about him, but rather is an active person who passionately and actively seeks to create and to make peace. Especially where there's conflict brewing, the peacemaker seeks to make peace and settle the conflict in a loving and grace-filled way. I think we glimpse some qualities of a peacemaker when Christ speaks of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. So I'm going to read from there. It's later on in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So we hear that just as with the peacemakers who shall be called sons of God, so too those who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them shall be called sons of their Father in heaven. Peacemakers pray for others. They love their enemies, and they seek to reconcile conflict. Now, of course, in the text, we should point out that when it says peacemakers are called sons of God, if you're a woman, this is not your opportunity to nudge your spouse or your brother uh, and point out the ways that he isn't a peacemaker. Sons in the text includes both men and women. Uh, both male and female are all brought into God's family underneath Christ's cross. So let's look at another verse where we learn of the qualities of true peacemaking. It's also found in Matthew 5 where Jesus speaks of anger. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, 
And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, these words of Jesus would have shocked the crowd. These were, this is unbelievable what he's saying, because what he's saying is acceptable worship is not you leaving your gift at the altar to appease God. You're not bringing forward anything good to appease him. Instead, Jesus is saying, first, God wants you to be reconciled to your brother. That is the level of importance that God places on this. He first wants you, what he desires is that you be reconciled. And so here's another quality of the peacemaker. He seeks actively to be reconciled with those around him. The peacemaker says, let it begin with me. I'm going to take the first step towards seeing the end of this conflict, the end of this strife. The peacemaker is the son or daughter who doesn't shy away from his parents even when the child has been wronged. But instead, he actively pursues him to make amends and repair the relationship. The peacemaker is the boss or the coworker who takes the extra steps necessary in order to right a wrong, clear up a simple miscommunication that would have been swept under the rug, supposedly. The peacemaker is the girl who sees that something's wrong with her roommate and goes out of her way because she loves her and cares for her to reach out and seek to speak compassionately into that situation. And in all these examples, the peacemaker pursues the other person because of their love for them. Even when the peacemaker has been wronged, he reaches out and in love seeks to show God's grace amidst difficult, painful circumstances. Now, peacemaking in each of us looks a bit different um, due to the sinful tendency that we started with. When we believe in Christ, we are redeemed and saved right now, completely. Yet we do not live perfect lives on this earth. We still sin every day. However, we slowly become more like Christ while we are here on this earth. God is working us, and we become more and more like our Savior every day. And so peacemaking looks different in us, in each of us, based on whether we started with peace-faking, peace-breaking, or peacekeeping. Redeemed peace-fakers who are becoming more like Christ have an acute sense of when peace dissipates. They can tell when something is wrong between people, but instead of hiding out of fear like they used to, they pursue peace because now they're assured of God's love. Redeemed peace-breakers who are becoming more like Christ sense when something is wrong with the other person. They seek to find it now, but lovingly, and not out of hurt or to prove themselves right. They lose their rashness and instead speak gently and with the love of Christ. Redeemed peacekeepers who are becoming more like Christ see the conflict for what it is, but instead of apathy, their apathy turns to active compassion. Instead of apathetically uh, standing by, they now trust God and find the impetus to intervene. They're no longer hopeless, but find joy and have faith in God who has made peace with them. As we look at our hearts, and as I've said, as I look at mine, I know that uh, I fall short of Christ's call to peacemaking. I'm not the peacemaker I should be. I am a peacebreaker. That's a real sin that I've committed, as I've said, uh, against my father. Um, I fall short of Christ's call to peacemaking. But I have hope because Christ himself is my peace. So how is Jesus our peace? Jesus calls us to make peace with others because he himself has made peace for us with God and with others. And not only this, but he has brought us into God's family. Jesus is our peace because he has accomplished what we never could. True and perfect peace 
both with God and with others. Ephesians 2 really brings out this point, so I'm going to read from there. Uh, Here, Paul is describing the broken relationship that Gentiles and Jews used to have. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. He's speaking to the Gentiles, and he says, Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body on the cross, uh, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So how or in what way is Jesus our peace? Jesus is our peace because he's broken down the hostility that used to exist between people when he died on the cross for our sins. And more than this, he's made peace with God for us. Christ reconciled us to God in his body on the cross. On the cross, Christ took all of our sin, including all of our failed attempts at peacemaking. And he suffered the punishment for sin that we deserved. He did this because he loves us. Christ was not a peace faker who simply looked the other way and pretended not to see our sin. Neither was he a peace breaker who exposed our sin, but then did nothing to heal us, nothing to repair the broken relationship. And he wasn't a peacekeeper who apathetically stood by and said, too bad, it's not my problem. No, the opposite happened. He didn't have to save us, but he chose to. Christ is our true and ultimate peacemaker who, because of his love for us, took our sin on himself and gave us the peace that he had with God. He took our sin and gave us his perfection. That's what happened on the cross. This fully and completely accomplished peace with God for us. We know uh, Christ fulfills what it says in Isaiah, that it was him who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Christ is the perfect peacemaker who sought us amidst our conflict with him. We wronged him, and he was the one to seek after us. It was while we were sinners that he died for us. We didn't earn our salvation at all. Christ gave up the wonderful shalom that he had with the Father and the Spirit so that he could enter this war-torn world, bear our sins, and give us true peace, both peace with God and peace with others, since he gathers all people, both Jew and Gentile, underneath of his cross. But this is not all. Why is Jesus our peace? Why did he accomplish this peace? So that he could bring us into God's family. Christ, the only true peacemaker, is called the Son of God, and when we believe in him, we too are called sons of God. In him, we are called a child of God, just as he is. Now, apart from, this, uh, apart from Christ, we would not be called sons of God. And don't you see it in this passage? It's only the peacemakers who are called sons of God. But I'm not a peacemaker. As we said, I'm a peacebreaker. Christ is the only one who is a true peacemaker. He is the peacemaker. And so he's the only one who is rightfully called a son of God. And now this, this is the worst news imaginable. It's terrifying if we don't believe in Christ. But if we do believe in him, then we have tremendous hope 
because we too receive his title of son. As Jeff said last week, one day we will see God and we will see him as his sons, as his children. Christ is the perfect peacemaker. By our own peacemaking efforts, we will never be called sons of God. We can't live up to this because we will not perfectly make peace. But when we're in Christ, his perfect peacemaking is credited to us and we, like him, are called sons of God. So what does it mean to be a son of God? Just two things I want to bring out. First, the blessing of being in God's family means that you bear the family name. You're marked by God's love and you're a child of God now. Listen to these few verses in 1 John and what they have to say about being a child of God. This is 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And in the next verse, he writes, Beloved, we are God's children now. And then he goes on. Here, John writes about God's astounding love and marvels that we might be called God's children. You can even hear it as I read it and what he, what he wrote. He is astounded at God's love. What kind of love is this that we are God's very own children? I think we also read it twice today and during the service, uh, in both in Ephesians 4 and in John 1. In John 1 we read it's dearly beloved children. That's incredible. Here, oh, sorry. Uh, so for example, I was listening to uh, the radio recently to a Christian station uh, and a mom called in to share about her young daughter. The mom, uh, this is the story I've heard from many parents. When they have kids, they often say, I realized how selfish I used to be uh, because the kid's bringing out all these things that I didn't realize how selfish I was. Um, And this mom's story was the same. She was calling in to say she's become more selfless since she's had her daughter. She said, before, before I had my daughter, um, I would only think about myself, what I wanted to do, what was best for me. But she said, now that I've had my daughter, I think about what's best for her. How can I love her? What's best for our family? And it hit me as I thought, isn't that how God thinks of me? He loves me tenderly and wants what's best for me. And in fact, we know that he's working all things for my good. I am his son and he loves me. God doesn't look down on me with displeasure or disappointment because I've sinned Again, he's not waiting to condemn me. He loves me. He cares for me because I bear the family name. I am his son and I bear his name. Because Christians bear the family name, we also, secondly, bear the family likeness, which brings us back to our verse today. The family likeness here is peacemaking. God has made peace with us through his son, Jesus. God is a peacemaker. Sons of God bear the family likeness of peacemaking. Christians who make true peace bear resemblance to their father. They have a family likeness. This is my first time preaching, but many of you have been around Philly for some time. You may have seen my own father, John Julien, preach. And the fact is, I bet you can see our similarities. Um, You see the resemblance. You look at me, you see the hand motions, the mannerisms, the way I speak all of it, you can see me and you say, you're John's boy. You are a Julene boy. And in fact, I've had several of you come up to me in this, con- in this congregation and say, like, hi, nice to meet you. I knew you when you were four. You're a Julene, right? And say, yes, I'm a Julene. You know, good to see you again. Because you can just tell that I'm a Julene boy. Uh, I bear that family likeness. And in the same way, peacemakers bear a likeness with God. They make peace. Christ has made peace with God for us. And he's even made peace with others for us. When we are peacemakers, we resemble Christ and reflect him to a war-torn world that desperately needs to know of him. 
Jesus calls us to make peace with others because he himself has made peace for us with God and with others. Not only this, but he's brought us into God's very family. Christ has accomplished peace with God for me in my place. We, the redeemed peace fakers, redeemed peace breakers, and redeemed peacekeepers are unable to and we must pursue peace with our spouses, children, co-workers, our roommates, our children, because of Christ's radical work of peace on the cross and his call to true peacemaking. We are Christ's ambassadors of peace on this world. Now, we won't reach perfect peace here on earth, but one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, we who are the sons of God will rejoice and praise Christ for the peace that he has accomplished for us. There, in that place, there will be no more war, no more apathy, no more fear. There will only be true shalom as we worship Christ, who will reign forever as the Prince of Peace. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your astounding love. You sent your Son for us, to die for us and to save us. And he's made peace with us, and we are now your sons. Pray that we would live in light of this truth and walk with you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.